0: thinking about that song actually, Miracle Worker, and before we sang it I was reminded of John's words in Luke chapter 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That's on my Christmas list, that all people will see God's salvation. More, more, more. But I think in order to do that, there has to be some valleys filled in and mountains made low in our own minds first. As well as some, some crooked, strat, crooked paths made straight for them to come at that place, actually our own minds have to change a little bit first in order for that to happen. And um, I just want to pray. So if you, and you'll need to agree with me because if you will, it won't make any difference. But I just want to pray that as I share this morning that any mountains that need to be lowered in your mind, or valleys that need to be filled in, that you agree that God (laughs) can do that. Because if you agree that he can do it, he will do it. Uh, So, Father, I'm asking right now, Father, that there are places, Lord, uh, and valleys and mountains are obstacles to easy passage, Father. Mm -hmm. Crooked paths and rough ways are obstacles to an easy transition and an easy journey. And, Father, I'm asking, Lord, that as I share, Father, as I share this morning, Lord, we are asking, Lord, that those things that stop us easily identifying as ambassadors, that stop us easily being the people you called us to be, that you would fill those valleys in further, that you would reduce those mountains further, a flat ground, that you would make those rugged paths straight and the rough way smooth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are talking about 2 Corinthians 5:17 to 20. We've kind of been going. We're on part eight, I think, now. Um, and I wasn't actually, I, I spent most of Tuesday preparing a message all about Emmanuel and God with us and saw all this stuff in the Old Testament about where God wanted to did and did not live. And then I sat down to write it up on Friday and went, oh no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but maybe we'll get to that near the Christmas. we know This is the 22nd. So. But for now, I was reminded of Luke and chapter 15, which we're going to explore. But first... Um, We have a message and a ministry of reconciliation. That's what you have got. That's what you carry. You are an ambassador. And your job, part of your role as an ambassador, is to be a reconciler. And we've said this, Josh, next one. It's about restoring people to their original design as lovers of Jesus, lovers of themselves, and lovers of one another. And um, as I was saying last week, one of the reasons why we are not very good ambassadors, is we make all sorts of assumptions about why people are, what we might call lost. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables all about a lost lost things. A lost um, sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And he uses the word lost to describe those who don't yet know Jesus. And so when I talk about lost, that's what I mean, lost in the sense of people who do not yet know him. And I, I think many of us, because um, I've talked to people, and I know myself, carry around the idea that people who are yet to meet Jesus are in that position because they have deliberately chosen to be there. But of course, in order to choose to be in a place, you have to have the information to choose. You can't say that I don't choose to live in Bingley if I don't know Bingley exists. That I haven't had the choice to live in Bingley if I don't know if it exists. It's like saying, so no, Adam chooses to live in Shipley, he do not want to live in Bingley. But if nobody's ever told me about Bingley, I can't choose to live in Bingley, can I? you can't say that I choose to live in Shipley. I don't have any choice other than to live in Shipley because I don't know anywhere else exists. It's just simply not a choice I can make. And last week, we had the best illustration ever that involved chocolate. And um, we said that if the, if the only chocolate you ever had the chance to taste was as the smart price chocolate, you'd choose as the smart price chocolate. But only because that's all you'd had the opportunity to taste. You'd think it was wonderful. But if somebody offers you... Cadbury's, Galaxy, Lint, whatever's your favourite, then you might choose that superior chocolate over the uh, cheaper chocolate you're currently experiencing. But the point is this. Unless somebody offers you the superior chocolate, you don't know about it. And you don't have a choice in eating it because you don't know about it. You will continue with the chocolate you know and assume it's the best available until you have had opportunity to taste and see a whole new experience of chocolate, you'll be satisfied with the chocolate you currently have. And of course the biggest mistake we make is that we assume people are very happy with the life they've got. We assume they like the life they have and that they're not interested in hearing about a different sort of life that includes Jesus. We assume they really enjoy the life they are leading so we don't offer them the superior life in Jesus that we enjoy. And they may well tell us that they enjoy the life they are leading but we've not offered them any alternative. So they're enjoying what they know is available. It's like going to a menu and you've been offered the festive menu, and you're enjoying the festive menu, but you forget there's a whole other menu. But if the waitress doesn't show you another menu, how can you choose from that menu? You simply care. We are surrounded by people whose quality of life is like eating as a smart price chocolate when we have Cadbury's available, or or whatever you like. We carry life and life to the full, but we are surrounded by those who don't know life to the full. And unless someone shares it with them, they will never know life to the full. But of course, if you know Jesus, then you have the very best form of life there is. You carry around love, peace, joy, goodness, kindness, grace, mercy in you. You might not fully know those things, but you've gone. You've come to terms with them. You've seen them. But many, many other people do not have those things, and it's not because they don't want them. It's not because they're happy with their current life, and it's not because they don't want to know more. Next one, Josh. For the vast, vast majority of people, they don't have love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, grace, mercy. Not because they don't want it, but because no one has ever offered it to them. No one has ever given them the chance to taste and see that the Lord is good. Or perhaps offered it to them enough times. Or perhaps offered it to them in a way that they can understand. Or grasp. Or hear. Or see. We don't always get something first time, do we? It takes a while to pick some things up. It takes a while to grasp some things. So we go, oh, they came to one three years ago. They're not interested. Okay, well, maybe they are interested, but maybe it takes more than one 10-minute sermon for somebody to understand Jesus. How long did it take you? So I want want to show you this from Luke 15. We often think that people are lost on purpose, that they are actively choosing to not get into know Jesus. But the truth is very different to that. Because the truth is that no one gets lost on purpose. You have never, I don't think, woken up in the morning and thought, I'm going to get in my car and see how lost I can get. Nobody gets lost on purpose, do they? Nobody walks up a mountain, ditches the compass in fog, and decides to, nobody who's thinking right anyway, and decides to wander off to see how lost they can be. No one gets lost on purpose. And when Jesus talked about the sheep, the coin, and the son, these stories tell us that nobody gets lost on purpose. So first of all, the sheep. If you go it there, Josh? Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep, I tell you. In the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Did you know God's already thrown his biggest party for you? That's what that last verse means. It means he's already thrown his biggest party for you. Because when you came to know him, that was the biggest party he was ever going to throw for you. And he throws a party now, but you've already had your best party. Because now, you're one of the 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. And he says, and this is Jesus, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven of a one sinner than 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. So there can be 99 you who already know Jesus. That pie for 99 you is not as big as the one person who comes to know Jesus. That's how God thinks about it. That's how God thinks about it. So sorry, you've had your best pie. Until you get up there and join the greatest ever pie. And of course, He delights over you and all that, but it seems to me that the greatest pie you threw for you. Is when you said yes to him. Now, sheep are not very clever. I've always wondered why Jesus compared us to sheep, but maybe there's an answer there. But we are very blessed living where we do, of course, because we get to see sheep on a very regular basis. And if I'm walking with Archie, sometimes you get to sheep running on a very regular basis. Most Archie's like... But anyways. Um, but often... I don't know whether you've ever sat and watched some sheep, but they kind of sit there, or they don't stand there, just like head down, munching. That's all they seem to do, just munch, basically. And they're all scattered all over the field. And often you'll see one or a few, like on the fringe. They don't tend to all stay together in one big flock. They tend to be all over the field. And what I think happens with sheep is that they, they just kind of follow the grass, really. They just kind of start bunching and on on. They're not really thinking what else is going on, they're just munching a bit of grass. So when you're a sheep that ends up on its own, has not really looked around and gone, I'm doing a runner today, I'm going to go out on my own, where all those foxes are and those things are that can kill me, because, you know, it's... I'm going to go. No sheep ever goes, I'm going to go off on my own out of the safety of the flock. It's just got its head down. And then darkness comes and it goes, Oh, where did everybody go? But it didn't deliberately leave. It just had its head down, munching, doing what a sheep does and wandered off. In other words, it munched itself into separateness, lostness, and isolation. Munch, munch, munch. Great word, isn't it? It was simply living the best life it could and getting on with munching grass. It was surviving. Next one, Josh. The sheep didn't make a conscious decision to be lost, to leave the group, and many people don't either. Many people lost through the preoccupation of life. They're just getting on with life, doing life the best they can, doing what they know to do with what they know and who they know. They've got their heads down, as it were, busy surviving. And they finish up in a condition that we might call lost. But they didn't set out to be that way. They just lived life. And life dealt them a few things. And they tried to deal with them. And they tried to deal with them in the best way they could. With the information and knowledge and help they had at the time. And and then they end up somewhere where they didn't intend to be. But that's where they are. But they didn't deliberately get there. We cannot assume people are lost because they want to be that they're somehow deeply rebellious against God, that they hate God and they're enjoying the disobedience and aware of it. They're not. Most people are just not. They're lost because they're preoccupied with life, trying to survive. Some people have yet to meet Jesus because they're just preoccupied with life. But if somebody could share the good news that would transform their life, they may well be very open to listening. Luke chapter 15, verse 8 to 10. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully till she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours, Rejoice, i found my lost coin. In the same way there is a bigger pie in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The coin didn't want to be lost. The coin didn't say they're going, I'm going to get lost today, I'm going to try and roll off this thing, and hit here. You know coins don't do that. No coin wanting to be lost. The coin was lost because somebody neglected it. Somebody misplaced it. Somebody didn't look after it. The coin was lost because somebody mistreated it. And lots of people are lost because they've been mistreat, because they've been misplaced, because somebody's not looked after them. They've not been treated with the love and the value and the honour and the grace that they deserve. And so they end up lost. But that's not their fault. Sometimes we misplace things, and when we misplace them, it's not the item's fault, it's been misplaced. Sometimes our world has misplaced lots of people. We have misplaced lots of people. And it's not their fault that they're misplaced. Any misplaced item wants to be found, wants to be used, wants to be included again. Next slide, Josh. The coin was not lost on purpose. The coin represents people that are lost through someone else's mishandling of them and of their lives. Someone else's lack of care, lack of love in their lives. So people can be lost because they've just kind of munched the way through life... Some people are lost because they got mistreated. And then they try to respond and react again in what they knew and how they could. And maybe they've made some decisions that were unhelpful. Well, just like you and me then. Maybe they've not made the best choices in life. Well, just like you and me then. But you were blessed to have somebody around you who had some wisdom. Somebody who could offer Jesus to you. Somebody who could offer the peace, the love, and the grace, and the joy that Jesus offers. Somebody who could lead your disciple, your mentor, you've had that. If you've never had that, Well, you're going to see what you can find and go with that. And I've talked about the son many times. I love this parable. But this morning, I want to focus on two elements of the story. Why he got lost and the response of the older brother to his younger brother's lostness. Luke 15, 11 to 20. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called. Your son, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got go up and went to his father. The son didn't get lost on purpose. He didn't end up living on a pigsty on purpose. The son was lost through miscalculation. He calculated that the outcome of his decisions would be a certain way. If I can get my dad's inheritance, I can get some money, I can go and do this, it'll all work out well. But it didn't work out well. He miscalculated friendship. He miscalculated the buzz and fulfillment he'd get through spending his inheritance. He miscalculated where he would finish up in life. And when he finished up in the pigsty at the lowest ebb of his life, I don't think he thought that was exactly where he calculated he would be by now. There was no way when he left home he thought, I know, I'm going to aim for a pigsty having blown it all. He didn't think that. But he, he made some decisions. Next slide, Josh. He made some choices. Many people in life are lost because they have miscalculated the outcome of their decisions and choices. They thought a certain course of action would lead them to a certain place, and it didn't. They thought getting in a relationship would take them somewhere. They thought getting out of a relationship would take them somewhere. They thought buying a house, being in a career, going around the world, doing whatever would take them somewhere. And then they realised it didn't meet them. didn't actually take them where they thought it would. Many people in life are lost because they miscalculated the outcome of their decisions and choices. And one of the things I love about this story is the response of the father when the son comes home. And um, I want to I talk about it because I've talked about it before in the sense of how he feels about you. But I want you to think this morning about how he feels about those who don't know him. Because that's how he feels about them. I need a victim, Ian. Yeah, we're too recent for you. Just go stand there, bro. <laughs> so the, the, the son goes and, and squanders everything. And of course, what's amazing about the father is, um, in fact, let me read it to you. Uh, he says he got up. He says, while he was still a long way off. So this father, this father is looking out for his son. This father is not in the house getting on with his life. This father is believing every day that this son going to come home. And every day, father is stood on the doorstep scanning the horizon for his son. That's what father does. As opposed to the older brother, as we'll see later. But the father is going, I want to see him, I want to see him. And the son is thinking, the only way to come home is to get on my hands and knees and crawl to dad. Yeah, come on, we can do this. He's thinking, I can get on my hands and knees, and I've got to crawl to him. And he's thinking, this is what I've got to do. I've got to come, and I've got to kiss Father's foot. (laughs) You don't have to actually kiss it. There we go. This is how he's imagining he's got to come. But you realize you can go stand up back now. Most people think that's how they have to come to Jesus. The amount of people who honestly believe that when they walk through those doors, God is going to strike them dead, honestly, they honestly believe that's what God thinks about them. If I walk into a church, he knows what I've done, I'll be dead. That's the view they have of God. Many people think like that. They don't know that God's love. They don't know that God's different to that. They actually believe it. But of course, what does Father do? He says that Father sees him, he runs to him, and he goes, yes! That's what he says. Have you read it? Saw him, filled with compassion, ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's what the Bible says. That's why I used the word victim when I told him I had to come up. <laughs> but you see that, that and I, I do that deliberately because it's a little bit shocking. But that's what this parable was meant to be. Shocking. I'm tired out from that little jog down on. <laughs> it's meant to be shocking. It's meant to be like really? That's what it's like? But of course, that's how how Father's heart for everybody. No matter what they think about him or have said about him, or where they're at with him, or whether they even know about him, that is what Father does to everybody. And I know we don't like that. Because there's some people we don't think Father should run to like that. But he does. You like to get over it. That's what he's like. That's what he does. No matter who they are, where they are, or what they've done, I tell you, that is what Father does, because it's the only response he knows. There is no other response from father other than that. That's just it. Meanwhile, Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's coming, replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. What's always saddened me about this story is the older son. The older son has his own issues, but he's in father's house. He's in relationship with father, and he makes absolutely no attempt to reach out to the younger son. And even worse, when the younger son comes home, rather than celebrate, he becomes angry and refuses to go to the pie. But I want to know what he was doing in father's house in the first place. Because his brother was lost. His brother was not enjoying Father's house. His brother felt he wasn't welcome in Father's house, and the elder brother did nothing. What the heck was he doing, enjoying everything that Father offered, while his brother wasn't even in Father's house? This is his own brother, for crying out loud. And of course, he's upset. He thinks he's done this, that, and the other. But he's in Father's house. He's with Father all the time. And the elder brother doesn't even know he's welcome in father's house. Surely he should have been looking out for his brother, reminding him of father's heart, of father's love, of father's welcome. Father was looking for him to come home, always looking out for him. But the brother is in the field, not right bothered. We must ask ourselves, which character most closely mirrors us? Are we more like father or the elder brother? Are we constantly looking for ways to welcome people to Father's house? Or are we enjoying Father's house with no regard for those who are not enjoying Father's house? You see, no one is lost on purpose. Next slide, Josh. Some people are lost because they are preoccupied in life like the sheep was. Some people are lost through someone else's neglect of them like the coin was. Some people are lost because they miscalculate their decisions and the outcome of their choices like the son was. But many people are lost because those who are found, including me, are too like the elder brother and less like the father. That's the reality. But if people are not lost on purpose, if people are not lost on purpose, but are lost because of these other reasons, then maybe people are more open to a new idea than we think they are. Maybe people are open to another suggestion for how to get their life back on track, rather than assume they are rebellious and God-haters and, and we assume this kind of confrontational approach to them, maybe it's something different. Jesus didn't approach people believing they were antagonistic towards him. He was always looking for signs as to why they were lost. The vast, vast majority of people are not lost on purpose. They are not rebellious. They are not anti-God. They are lost for all these other reasons, and it would do as good to remember it. We are ambassadors. And this is an embassy. The point of an embassy is not to hide away from the horror outside. It's to influence the world out there with what the embassy carries. That's why it's an embassy. That's why we're ambassadors. But if people don't know about the father of the house, they can't choose the father of the house. Of course, they, can, they may know about him and choose that at this moment in their lives, they're not kind of into him. Well, that's okay. That's their choice. That's up to them and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But whether they get a chance to know about him, that's up to us. The rest is up to him. The rest is up to him and them and our prayers. But if they've never heard about him, and, and listen, lots of people have heard about God and Jesus, but not the God and Jesus you know. That's the thing. They think they know about a God and a Jesus, but not the one that you know and that changed your life. Not the one that loves like that. Not the one that forgives like that. Not the one that flows like we know we flows. I don't talk about Jesus anymore. I talk about the Jesus I know and the God that I know. Because he's often different to what everybody else knows. If they ask me, I say, well, the Jesus I know does this. The God that I know is like this. The Jesus that I've experienced is like this because it's true so I want to encourage you I want to encourage you to invite somebody to something Christmas is the easiest time ever because it doesn't happen until another 365 days alright, whereas a Sunday is a bit harder because it happens in 7 days but I want to encourage you And, and listen I said this last week You know, in Acts, they didn't have 57 training sessions and how to talk to somebody. They just had themselves and the Holy Spirit. And it seemed to work pretty well. They didn't have a million reasons to a million questions, and what about evolution, and what about this, and what about that? Well, let's worry about it when we get there. We spend so much time worrying about what might happen in a conversation, we never have a conversation. It's called faith, and he's with you. And it's not about getting the right answers anyway. It's not about having all the answers to all the questions. It's about just going, hey, maybe there's something in this that you could be good for you because it's been fabulous for me. I don't get it, me. We'd, we'd share about a brilliant dentist or doctor or physiotherapist who just fixes one bit of us every now and again more than we shared about Jesus who changes our whole lives. Anybody know a good plumber? Well, I'll tell you, a great plumber. Anybody know a good saviour? No. No, but really, I I know it, because I've been like it. But that's what we like. We speak loudly about a plumber than we do about Jesus. What is that all about? It's just a nonsense, isn't it? And please, you know, the reason I prayed is because I know it kind of hits a little bit, I know. But listen, I I don't share this stuff, and you know my heart. I don't share this stuff to make you feel in any way anything. I share it because it's the truth of the Word of God. It's His gospel. And again, as I said last week, the reason the vast majority of you are here is because somebody invited you somewhere. Somebody invited you somewhere. And if they didn't invite you, somebody invited the people that, you know, I said, all right, I grew up I went to church from being far. But only because a couple invited my mum and dad back to church. Without that invitation. Who knows what world I might live in? What invitation? I think he said that there were eight ladies or something like that who used to pray for Billy Graham. And they prayed for one person. And that one person did tremendous things. So, I want to encourage you. You are an ambassador. And an invitation is a very powerful thing. Amen. And listen. If you invite somebody or you don't manage to invite somebody, that's fine. But please be with us. Because your presence and the spirit that you carry changes this place. It really does. So it's a big, So whether you bring somebody or not, I want you with us at those two times. Because it's, it's much more powerful when this place is full than when it's half empty as well. It makes a big, a big difference. So please be with us no matter what, okay? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I want to thank you that you found me, Father. That you found each and every one of us, Lord. I want to thank you that you revealed yourself to us, Lord. In all the different ways and through all the different people, Lord. We want to thank you that you, you one day in the past had a huge pie over us, the one sinner who repented, Father, and who came, and know you. And, Father, I want there to be much more parties in heaven, Father. I want heaven to have a massive party, Father, for people coming to know you for the first time, Jesus. i at least having the opportunity to make a choice, Father. Whether they do or not, we know it's up to them. But, Father, I at least want people to have the opportunity to make a choice, Jesus. That they might be able to choose and to hear of your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy. And, Father, we, we once again come against the work of the enemy that would seek to condemn and bring guilt and all that nonsense. Father, we rebuke it. We tell it to clear it off in Jesus' name. It has no place in our lives because you have already dealt with it, Father. But, Lord, but a movement of your spirit, Father. That conviction of your Holy Spirit, Father, I speak that into our lives, Jesus. That conviction of your spirit into us, Father, that causes us to change, we speak that into each and every one of us in Jesus' name.